Welcome to Hub Headlines. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the Executive Director of The Hub. Today's program features the best commentary and analysis published in The Hub for February 19th. Up first is Theo Argaitis, writing on Prime Minister Trudeau's reaction to the Bell Media layoffs, Bell Canada Enterprises investments over time, and what Trudeau's reaction to these corporate practices indicate. If the last few weeks are any indication, Canadian companies should prepare for a dangerous political landscape in the coming months. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is on unstable political ground trailing the opposition Conservatives by almost 20 percentage points in one poll. This will put political Ottawa increasingly on an election footing and corporate Canada will get caught in the crosshairs. The latest example was BCE Inc.'s February 8th announcement that it was cutting headcount by 9% at Canada's largest telecom. This includes more than 400 layoffs at its Bell Media division and the sale of 45 radio stations. To recap, Trudeau didn't take kindly to it. The PM declared it a garbage decision and even went as far as to suggest BCE was complicit in the erosion of Canada's democracy. It was an over-the-top reaction, but it represents an alarming trend in Ottawa. Politicians are eagerly targeting vilifying and scapegoating Canada's largest firms as if they are pariahs. At a time when the investment climate remains incredibly challenging, it is a dispiriting development in C-suites across the country. Take Trudeau's assertions against BCE. If radio channels are so fundamental to our democracy, why is the federal government largely ignoring them in its own ad spending? Last year, the Fed spent about the same amount on LinkedIn, $2.4 million, as they did for ads on all of Canada's struggling radio stations, $2.7 million. Should we really be outraged that a private company is choosing not to operate loss-making media assets that the government isn't advertising on? To be sure, Trudeau couldn't have been happy that BCE blamed liberal policy for the layoffs. This would have put any government on the defensive. Yet the Canadian government did change the competitive landscape last year to favor third-party resellers of BCE's internet network. The move happened midway through BCE's record-setting investment push that has totaled $18 billion over four years. BCE ramped up capital spending on the premise the favorable regulatory regime, which had been in place only since 2021, would continue. Perhaps the company's biggest mistake was to assume the investment environment wouldn't keep changing. The pricing regime for third-party Internet service providers has switched three times since 2019. Executives at BCE hold a fiduciary duty to spend shareholder money wisely, like every publicly traded company. Whether politicians like it or not, that's just how things work. This imperative becomes even greater in times when the cost of capital is rising like it is now. A few days after BCE's announcement, the company sold close to $1.5 billion of debt in the U.S. bond market. The interest rate was almost two percentage points, above similar debt sold just a couple of years ago. In its 2023 financials released on February 8th, BCE reported interest payments had jumped by about $300 million over the last year. This is about what BCE expects to generate in savings 
from the cost cuts. This sort of context appears to be lost in political circles. While BCE is today's political target, it won't be the last. Ottawa's shifting and thickening regulatory landscape, along with the outright hostility, is being felt far beyond the Montreal-based telco. Canada's oil and gas sector, by far the country's largest export-earning industry, is under constant attack. The most recent development is a private member's bill from the NDP's Charlie Angus that would ban advertisement by the sector like restrictions for tobacco companies. Trudeau's Environment Minister Stephen Gibault put out a statement saying the government welcomed the bill. Canada's banks are paying not one but two special taxes, a legacy of the last election when they became targets. Canada's grocery chains, which employ more than 400,000 retail workers, are being blamed for surging food prices. Late last year, executives were summoned to Ottawa to find ways to fix the problem. Summoning CEOs to Ottawa is a thing politicians like to do to show gravity. Suncor CEO Rich Kruger was brought to Ottawa late last year to explain comments he had made to investors about putting less of an emphasis on the oil giant's longer-term energy transition. In his testimony, Kruger had this to say, I think one of the challenges we face here, and have faced here for some time now, is a bit of the unpredictability and uncertainty, which then, quite frankly, scares away capital. Now, members of Parliament want BCE executives, including CEO Mirko Bibic, to testify at a committee later this month. The likely effect will simply be to harden BCE's resolve. In its decision, the company said that it wants to put less money into assets that are exposed to the whims of politicians. Or more precisely, it's about reducing our dependence on overly regulated businesses, Bibic said on his earnings call to analysts. Trudeau's reaction simply validates that strategy. That was a commentary by Theo Argaitis. He is the managing director at Compass Rose Group. You can find the full text of his article on our website, thehub.ca. Our second essay is by Andrew Evans, who is a master's student at Columbia University. He is writing today on the Ontario government embracing nuclear energy, what other provinces can do in response, and how choosing nuclear energy opens a path towards net zero emissions. The Ontario government's recent announcement that it would be refurbishing the Pickering Nuclear Generating Station completed a whirlwind seven months of nuclear-related building announcements that began in July 2023. The expansion at the Bruce Nuclear Station to make it the largest nuclear station in the world, plans for four new first-of-a-kind small modular reactors at Darlington, and now the refurbishment of the Pickering Station position Ontario as the unquestioned hub of nuclear development in the West. These decisions from the Ontario government are bold, positive, and future-facing, as the projects represent Canada's most technologically complex public infrastructure ever attempted. They are arguably the most ambitious and transformative since the Transcontinental Railway in the 1880s or the development of the oil sands in the 1960s. Fundamentally, these past projects bet on Canadian ingenuity to accomplish the task at hand and change the underlying economic framework in a positive vision of the country. Ontario's nuclear commitment is similarly optimistic. 
other provinces across the country can follow Ontario's lead to use nuclear to produce clean, reliable, and affordable electricity. Aiming to have zero or near zero emissions from Canada's electricity sector is a goal we can achieve in a timely and financially responsible manner while respecting individual provincial idiosyncrasies. Today, Saskatchewan, Nova Scotia, and Alberta all still use coal in their grids. And while existing policy plans and simple economics are driving coal use down, there is still a question of what is going to replace the stable and cheap electricity generation coal provides. The answer to this question should be Canadian developed and built nuclear. With growth expected in grid demand across the country as electrification and population trends continue to increase, we need to ensure we have sufficient clean electricity to accommodate for these new energy demands. Nuclear can play a workhorse role in grids across Canada, producing large-scale, cheap electricity for the years ahead, with little land use while generating domestic economic activity through nuclear supply chain job creation and private investment attraction. These supply chain jobs will not be limited to operating the generating station, since the uranium that will be used is mined in Saskatchewan and processed in Ontario. And because our domestic success will create international orders for which thousands of Canadians will be employed. Additionally, the construction of the stations will demand thousands of skilled labour workers, helping to provide training, well-paid jobs, and a future reserve of skilled labour for Canada's economy. Whether they go on to work in other high-demand sectors like housing or construction. In addition to these benefits, cutting national emissions to near zero by replacing large-scale coal and natural gas generation will also cut about 7% of our current carbon emissions. Assuring clean electricity for the heavy industry, buildings, and transportation sectors, all of which emit more than our electricity sector, will allow them to decarbonize in an economically sound manner. Across the country, heavy industries like steel, aluminum, chemicals, and cement need certainty that there will be sufficient supplies of affordable electricity available before they can fully commit to changing their business practices. Providing those signals clearly by building nuclear stations can help to advance these decisions and achieve our emissions reduction targets which are impossible without vastly more clean electricity. There is a global trend towards net zero and decarbonization, and we must recognize this to ensure our future competitiveness. By providing clean, reliable, and affordable power across the country, we can provide a major value add for companies that other countries will simply be unable to provide. This is a non-punitive way to rekindle Canada's economic competitiveness and productivity, something that will be attractive to a country seeking to move on from an unpopular carbon tax. At the same time, we can use these large-scale electricity projects to generate cheap electricity for our citizens to use and reduce the cost of living in Canada, stimulating new domestic discretionary consumer spending. With past experience in refurbishment gained from previously refurbishing the Darlington and Bruce nuclear stations, there is a strong case that Ontario is well positioned to guard against cost and time overruns. The eyes of the world will be on Ontario to see if we can succeed at making these projects on time and on budget.
If it can, not only will the other provinces be at the table for their own nuclear developments, but our expertise will be in demand as the world looks for reliable, zero-emissions electricity. Such demand would pour billions of dollars into Ontario and Canada's economy for years to come, fueling major economic growth. This positive vision of cross-country clean power, with a focus on economic growth, will result in a strengthening of national unity as the country works towards a positive project for the benefit of all. That was Andrew Evans appearing in today's Hub. He is a master's student at Columbia University. Well, that is it for today's edition of Hub Headlines. We hope you enjoyed the program. To receive our Monday to Friday newsletter, subscribe to The Hub for as little as 25 cents a day. You can do that right now at thehub.ca. This podcast was produced by Alicia Rao. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Gluskin-Granofsky Charitable Foundation and the From Charitable Foundation. I'm Rudyard Griffiths, the host of Hub Headlines. Thanks for listening.